Welcome, everybody, back to the Rooted Netified show. I'm your host, Caddy Elias, and you are joining us for a special, special episode today, set free from Wicca and the world. Today, we have our special guest, Keely Daniels. Happy dance for you. Very excited to have you on here. Before we introduce our special guest, Keely Daniels, to you, I want to tell you a little bit more about our podcast. This podcast, The Rooted and Edified Show, is part of Beautifully Rooted, which is a Christian mental health and education corporation. And this show, The Rooted and Edified Show, is a fun-loving, no-facade, conservative Christian worldview show for both men and women who want to hear the four T's. Testimonies, topics, talents, and theology, of course. We want to help deepen your relationship with Christ and help you mature on your walk. And we would like to get a few laughs on the side if we can. As a reminder, we put out both an audio podcast and a video podcast. So whichever is your preference, there's something available for you. If you want to know more about our show or you want to volunteer in some way, we're happy to hear from you. You can check out our website, which is www.beautifullyrooted.com. And that is spelled B-E-Y-O-U. Now let me introduce to you even more our special guest, Keely Daniels. We're so glad that you're joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Keely Daniels is a PhD student in the Social Public Policy Program at Liberty University. She currently serves as the Executive Administrative Assistant for a national organization focused on maintaining religious freedoms in America and has worked for one U.S. senator and two nonprofits that were advocating for the protection of Christians and other religious minorities internationally. So important. In the health and human services field, Keeley has served as a Stevens minister in the hospital setting and was the previous owner of Second Mile Coaching, which was a business focused on life purpose and career coaching, as well as biblical counseling. Keeley has also served as a career advisor to military spouses, and in her spare time, if there was such a thing, get this, you'll find Keeley homeschooling her children, reading, writing, and taking walks with her husband, who recently retired from the U.S. Navy. One busy woman with such an important purpose. We thank you so much for being here. We definitely want to jump in and let you know what God has done in her life, where he has taken her from, and where he has brought her to, that she's doing all these amazing things. So, Keely, I already know that your story points to the power of God and his love and his transforming power. What a privilege we have in you letting us into your life and sharing your journey with us. But first, to set up hearing your story and thinking with the right perspective, let me ask you this. If you were to pick a word or two to describe your life now with Christ compared to your life before Christ or without Christ, what would it be and why? Sure. Thank you for having me and thank you for asking. I would definitely say redeemed or forgiven. And I'd say so because there were just so many things that I did that transgressed God's law and he didn't have to forgive me, but he did. And you know how growing up, there were those kids that you may have gone to school with and you thought, oh, they're the goody goody kids, right? You know, they're the ones who listen. They always, you know, they're never in trouble. And, you know, I have six kids and I've got like one that likes to do that. that likes to stay in the good graces, you know? Anyway, I was not one of those. I wasn't. And so it wasn't that I was in trouble with teachers that often, but I wasn't well liked. I definitely was not the kid that was, that stayed out of trouble, we'll say, with parents. I have been forgiven for much. So um, I, I appreciate the Lord so much for his grace on my life. Amen. Grace on everyone's life. And we're so thankful that you're here to share it with us. Now I think we're ready to hear your story. 
would you share with us and give us a glimpse of what your life journey looked like and ultimately how you came to the Lord being transformed into a beautiful, saved new creation? Sure. It's a pleasure. And the Bible says that we overcome the enemy right by the power of uh, the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony. So I think the testimony is so powerful. And I thank God for the opportunity to tell you today. Praise God. So first of all, I grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic school up through fifth grade. During that time, I was bullied a lot by certain kids and only had a couple of friends. And we had an unstable home. There was instability there, um, just, uh, you know, some substance abuse on one side and things like that. That that all kind of played into me looking to be affirmed by others. And when I did that, I went too far the one way, for instance, just attention seeking. And so kids pick up on those things sometimes, and then they don't treat you well. And because you're, you're seeking for that and really people don't, you know, people are not rewarded for that type of behavior. I even um, in the church though, I even went and preferred to serve as an altar girl. I I loved the Lord when I was young. I I think I did anyways, it seemed like it for a time, but you know, we were made to go to church, whether we felt good, whether we didn't or whatever. However, one of my parents was an atheist. So there was um, discord between. And so um, by the time I was supposed to be confirmed, around middle school, my mom wanted to start that process with me and talk about classes and things like that. And I just flat out said, no, I'm not going to be confirmed. And to her horror, she was like, why? You know, And I said, well, I just don't think I believe and I can't do something falsely. And I'm not going to say I didn't have a problem lying to my parents about things. That was part of the issue. But I definitely felt for some reason, there was just no way I could be false about this. And so I went ahead and told her no. And I was having such issues that at the school and everything that I begged my parents to be able to go to the public school, like all my neighbors. And so I went ahead in sixth and seventh grade, I was in the public school. And at first I was actually popular because I was the new kid and I was outgoing and and I tried to learn from the things that I didn't that didn't reward me and you know in my previous school with my behaviors. But unfortunately, you know, I, I became boy crazy and things like that as as young children can become. And I must say that part of that was that I was exposed to pornography at that age, actually. Um, and, and a little bit before that, maybe. I had this standard that I thought was cool, actually. Um, Unfortunately, it's not, but we see, you know, we see what the internet is doing now to children. And we didn't even have that at the time. So basically, I took up all that attention that I was getting at the new school. And I just, I just ate it up and did what anyone wanted me to do, basically. I would sneak out and, you know, not tell my parents, obviously. And but I was, I was almost on perpetual grounding. We'll say that. I also struggled at the same time with, unfortunately, with, with self-harm and things like that. Um, you know, I was, I was a cutter at the time and I got in trouble uh, and that just made life harder at home because of what we were going through without, you know, without going into detail, it just made things harder. So at age 13 in seventh grade, after having multiple boyfriends by that point already, I met my husband, actually, uh, who's now my husband, and 
he was a good kid. He had a good family. He had friends that were saying, you know, you need to stay away from that girl, stay away from her because she is no good for you. And his family, you know, completely understandably said the same thing. You know, my mother-in-law and I have had this conversation, you know, and I told her, I said, I wouldn't have wanted a girl for, you know, for my son like me. So I understand how you felt. That would not have been uh, my recommendation for my son. Basically, you know, at this time, I just sunk deeper and deeper. And at the time I was questioning, like I said, when I left the Catholic school, I was already questioning my faith. I dropped being an altar girl. I wasn't doing that anymore. I took up friendships with people who were really into the new age stuff and believed in some pretty outlandish things, but also they had older siblings that were in college and they believed the same things. I went ahead and followed after them. I thought they were great. To a kid who's been attention starved and friend starved their most of their lives, they tend to go with whatever is going to give them the love they think they they have in that. And you know, and when you have a family life that isn't going well and it's very stressful, then you you also gravitate towards those things. I continued just going down that promiscuity road. And, and I was with my husband and th- my, my family just took me out of school. My mom decided that I was not fit to be around other kids. <laughs> so <laughs> I was pulled from school at the end of seventh grade and I was homeschooled. Now, my mom at the time was uh, separated from my father. And so she, she had six kids and she worked full time and actually worked more than one job. There just wasn't a lot of time to homeschool a bunch of children like that, and especially me. And I was very rebellious and didn't want to be isolated more. To my mom's credit, she still allowed me to be in things like drama club and and, uh, some after school activities or extracurricular things. And the school allowed homeschoolers to do that. However, the fire was just fueled towards rebellion and finding any way I could to get my my own way. So a couple of years went by and I continued getting worse. I started to dabble in the Wiccan uh, religion. Around probably the end of seventh, maybe eighth grade, I bought a Ouija board it started with, and then it started with tarot cards, then it was tarot cards. After that, I started getting more attention for reading tarot cards because I was skilled enough at it, if you can say that. I would say now is a counterfeit gift from the Holy Spirit. We know the Bible says the gifts of God are without repentance, right? He puts some things in us from the beginning of our lives, but he means for us to use them for his good. And by no way, in in no way, shape or form, do I mean that he means for us to do anything in the new age for his sake. But what I mean is, is if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, it talks about the gifts. And some of those look like what new age does. You know what I mean? Right? Because the devil tries to counterfeit every good thing God does. I went into studying astral projection. This is where you lay there and you try to separate your spirit from your body. The good news is, is that God protected me from those things. But what he did allow is increased anxiety, depression, and nightmares. And I had them terribly 
You know, by the time I was a little bit older in my teens, I, I'll go back to this. I had panic attacks with agoraphobia which means that I was afraid to leave my home. I just couldn't do anything alone. Whereas I had been in a starring role in a drama club production at age 16. And by the time I was 18, I was afraid to go anywhere alone. Wow. So there was a a large chasm between how I used to feel and how I began feeling and adapting to the, the new age and what it did for me, you know, it didn't do anything good is what I'm trying to say. It just brought oppression on me. At that time as well, you know, um, I was, when I was 15, actually, I ended up becoming pregnant with my oldest daughter, Lydia. We were immediately told as soon as my mom found out, we were told we should abort or that we were going to have to abort. Strangely enough, I was rebellious enough to have called a lawyer and I said, I found out I'm pregnant. I feel my mom is going to make me aboard. Does she have the power to, to make me do that as a minor? And he said, absolutely not. Thankfully, the Lord had worked in me to do that, I guess, early enough. And I, I said, no, and I said, no, I cannot do that. And I don't, I don't have to be forced to do that. But that did not prevent my mom from kicking me out of the house. <laughs> And understandably, she was very angry, you know. So anyway, I was picked up by a friend that day. That was my 16th birthday when she found out. I was, I was kicked out. I, was, I went with a friend. I dyed my hair. I got a hat, sunglasses, and all this. And my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, like I said, he, uh, his family was going out of town. So we skipped town. We bought a $400 car. And we went from Ohio to Virginia. We were told we could get married underage there without parental permission or parental you know, guidance there. Little did we know back then, obviously you needed your social security card. You needed your, you know, your birth certificate and things like this to get married, right? So we left home. We didn't have anything with us. When we arrived at the courthouse in Parisburg, Virginia, we were cautiously questioned. Then we were taken to jail for the night. So the only thing I've ever been to jail for is trying to get married. Oh, wow. We were taken back home. Our parents came to get us that night. Very angry, as you can imagine. We spent the next couple of weeks, uh, you know, not being able to talk to one another or anything. And I stayed with my grandma for a couple of weeks. And then my mom found a maternity home for me to live in. I was, you know, sent there. And, you know, in my rebellion, I said, yeah, sure, send me there. I don't care. But, you know, I I was able to develop some lifelong friendships there and and things like that. It wasn't horrible. It was a wonderful Christian place. However, you you didn't go out of the building unless you're just going down the half a mile driveway just to get the mail. And at the time, my parents decided it was best to separate. My father had never, he never really agreed or didn't really like that I had been put at this maternity home. It was about an hour away from our hometown. And um, my boyfriend was not really allowed to see me. That was part of the rules. We also had devotions every day. We went to church on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, and Wednesday evenings. And so we got up for that. And and on Friday evenings, if we had been behaved and done our chores, then we had a big sister from one of the sponsoring churches would take us out. I feel bad because at the time when I was living at this maternity home, 
we were told when we went there that there would be no new age paraphernalia brought in, no books, you know, vulgar music or anything like that, because it was run by churches and it was a Christian place. You know, they wanted the environment to remain holy. You know, I did not obey that. Sadly enough, I I must admit, I still had my pentagram necklace. I still, um, listened to horrible music on my Walkman, if you remember Walkmans, of course, right? But I started being convicted, you know, started feeling conviction about that. And I did end up accepting Jesus as my savior while I was there during a devotional one time. I just really, you know, when you're surrounded by that environment, you start to really feel the love. You just start to know that Jesus is your savior, you know, and you feel that through others, right? And you have that that constant discipleship. Shortly after my parents were separated, my father, who really felt bad for me being so far away, decided to bring me home to live with him. And I was really grateful to him. However, he was a, well, an agnostic, not truly an atheist, but an agnostic. He believed there was a God, but didn't really believe he interfered in the affairs of men. He said, you know, kind of created us and left us alone. That's what he said. So anyway, we, you know, there was no discipleship and I was not going to church or anything. So, um, you know, I was back into my old life and surrounded with everything I knew. And I felt so free, you know, you feel free when you're in sin or you have that false sense of freedom. But I had my daughter, my husband and I, or I'm sorry, my boyfriend and I at the time, we, we were just you know, working, we, we both had jobs. My husband was trying, or my, my boyfriend was trying to go to school. Um, I got my GED at the time, but mind you, you know, I hadn't gone to school really since about eighth grade. And then the next year we were successful. When I was 17, we got married. <laughs> no jail time. <laughs> right. But our problems didn't stop. We were on our own. My husband got kicked out of his house once his parents, his parents found out about Two months after we were married that we'd been married, it was um, very hard, but we were trying to keep ourselves afloat. We ended up just working as much as we could and the anxiety, my anxiety just kept building and building and building. And this is when the panic and agoraphobia just really took over. And when I was 18, I got a job at the hospital so that I could provide healthcare for our family. And it was wonderful. However, I just couldn't handle the stress anymore. I left my job. I would go into work and I'd feel just this tunnel vision. I just feel like uh, I couldn't even stand up because I was just panicking so much. I was tried on all different kinds of medications, all the SSRIs and all the anxiety medications and the benzodiazepines. Nothing really worked well. So basically, we just felt like we were kind of spiraling out of control. And with this anxiety, I would beg my husband to stay home from work and he would work night shift. And I just couldn't have him leave. Sometimes I couldn't even go out to the grocery store. Sometimes if I did, I was looking down at the ground. I was holding his arm. I I just couldn't do it. I felt like everything was closing in on me and I was afraid to drive. And that was not like I, you know, that was not the way I had previously been. Things just kept going downhill and downhill and downhill. And finally, I went to a Navy recruiter because I thought, well, the military will fix me. (laughs) I thought the extreme would would do something for me. It didn't work. You know, that, that I was told by the recruiter, 
he, he must've been able to sense that I didn't, you know, that I didn't have good confidence. And he said, do you have any medical issues? And I had just had a gallbladder surgery and I had migraines, but nobody told me you're not supposed to tell a recruiter these things. No. Anyway, I do believe in the law. I believe in truth. Don't lie to a recruiter. But anyway, I, I told him flat out my story. And he said, Hmm, do you have a husband we can talk to? <laughs> so I said, I do, but he won't talk to you. And he said, well, could you just send him in anyways? And I said, okay, all right. Maybe I can convince him. I doubt it. Anyway, he went to the recruiter 10 days later, he was going to boot camp. It was, it was a quick, you know, quick turnaround whirlwind and everything. But, you know, one, one detail that I left out during that time too, was that when I quit my job at the hospital, for whatever reason, I got a job as a juice bartender at a strip club. And by the end of my first shift, guys had convinced me to dance. And I saw the money in that. And I saw that I had some control in my own hours and when I felt like, you know, when I felt like going to work and when I didn't, you know, and there was um, more, I felt more free in, in that. And I just pushed away the idea that it was, you know, that it was immoral. I felt those things and I just pushed it away for the sake of making money for my family and things. And I don't know, it, it was just something, it, the devil is a liar. Can I tell you that? The devil is a liar. Absolutely. And um, he will make you feel good about things that are not good for you at all. Anyway, fast forward a little bit. Like I said, I'm 19 and we go and we are stationed in South Carolina for the first time. During boot camp, I was unfaithful to my husband. He is fully aware of this and we minister to others through our, you know, what we went through. You know, like I said, we were just in a bad place. We were also sec- uh, pregnant with our second child, our son. You know, we were stationed in South Carolina and all of a sudden we go from the North to the South. And it is true what they say about the Bible Belt. There are Christians everywhere, especially Baptists. All my neighbors were Baptists. And I was invited to, you know, well, how about coming to VBS and bringing your children? And why don't you come for this Bible study? And I had told one of my good friends or my neighbors, it became a good friend. She asked me, you know, what I believed and and things. And I told her and my little daughter at the time, Lydia ran up to her with what you'd call a crystal ball. Most people say it's a scrying ball. People sometimes use a mirror or a ball or whatever to look into and tell the future. I had just bought my three and a half year old daughter one. My neighbor was just terrified. She was absolutely terrified and she did not want me coming inside of her home, but she would keep me at a distance. She would still, you know, love me. She would still talk to me about the Lord, but kept me at a distance. So again, I had several neighbors that were, you know, asking me to go to church with them and everything. And I put them off for almost three years. I was pregnant with my third child by this point. We lived on another part of the base and had even more Christian friends. And then I had a friend named Holly who invited me to her baby shower. And it was uh, at her church and I was uncomfortable about that. And in fact, I wore a Marilyn Manson Antichrist Superstar 
tank top to the baby shower with very short shorts on. I had my lip pierced. I have tattoos on my shoulders. You know, I have a devil tattooed on my back, for goodness sakes. And, you know, I walk into this church thinking, it doesn't matter. They're all going to judge me anyway. It's going to be, you know, whatever. I've heard it all before, but there are some nice Christians. Maybe I can tolerate it. So I go to this church and the woman sitting to my left had a braid down to almost the end of it was almost to her knees in the back long skirt to her, her ankles, obviously very traditional. And I thought, oh, I just walked into the wrong place. And they sat me right next to her. But you know, she was so kind and so loving. And she talked about her kids. She just had a a love about her. And I thought, wow, I can't believe she gave me the time of day. After that baby shower, I went home and I said to my husband, hey, we should go and visit this church this weekend. And my husband said, what? What happened? (laughs) What happened to you? I know that you did not just say that. And our daughter, and I, I, you know, forgot to put this in here, but our our, th- our three-year-old, well, she was actually, I'm sorry, she was about five at the time, but since she had been three, we had received this VHS tape. There was a campaign on base from Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, they were passing out the Jesus film. And do you know, do you remember those VHS tapes where you could pop the tab off the back and you could re-record over them? Well, these ones were not recordable. I tried. I tried to put blues clues over them. I tried to put Sesame Street or something over them. Jesus said no. No, Jesus said no. Absolutely. You know, she would make us watch this video all the time. I mean, what little child wants to watch the Jesus film all the time versus, you know, whatever cartoon is on Nickelodeon? So we were just, we we had been bombarded with the video and everything. And then finally, you know, she's bothering us to go to church. So she was so excited when I said we were going to visit that church that weekend. So we go there and we walk in and it was an entire gym filled with people that were raising their hands. It was a contemporary worship session. We were in love. We saw, wow, these people love God. They like, they believe, they really, really believe. And that was part of my issue growing up was that I thought these people, do they really believe, you know, or, or, you know, I just didn't see them so alive. I was, I was just so excited. I could not wait to go back again, you know, and it was kind of like a date for my husband and I, because the kids were in kids church, you know, children's church. They loved it. At that time, we found out we were pregnant with our fourth child. We asked the pastor, you know, to pray for us and things like that. We'd experienced multiple early miscarriages and things. And then it was time for us to be stationed somewhere else. And we were stationed up in Virginia. It was our real estate agent and another friend of ours who invited us to a particular church. And cool, cool, miraculous story that goes with this is that, you know, that friend that I mentioned that I, that my daughter ran up with the scrying ball to her and she was like horrified. Well, her name was Renee and Renee and her husband had been stationed in Virginia also about three months ahead of us. But when they moved They said they would forward us their address and their phone number, but they didn't. And I felt very, I was very hurt, but I thought, oh my gosh, you know, they don't, I just feel, I felt it. I knew they didn't really want to stay friends with us. And they didn't know that five weeks before we left South Carolina, we had started to visit that church, the, you know, the one that I went to the baby shower at. 
So they did, they just didn't know what was going on. So when I got to Virginia, the very first day we got to Virginia, I said, God, I just really want to tell Renee that I am going to church now, you know, and I hadn't been born again yet, but I just, I, I had that, that feeling and I just knew something was stirring in me. And I said, God, I just want to tell Renee. I knew that she had moved to one particular city. I knew that. And I knew we were living in the same city, but that city has got a decent sized population. I took my kids just to get some food down the street as we're sitting in this empty apartment. As I was praying, I'm driving down this one particular road. I had that thought that I hoped I could tell her. I look to the right and I see a minivan that looks just like hers on a corner property. And I think to myself, oh my goodness, that looks like her van. And my daughter says, that's, that's it. That's it, mom. That's it. That's it. I said, no, it couldn't be. But I said, okay, I'm going to pull over just in case. And I realized they had already had a Virginia license plate. And I thought, ooh, this is risky, but I'm going to go knock on the door. So I did knock on the door and lo and behold, it was her house. (laughs) And she was shocked when I, you know, when I was at the door and she said, how did you find me? And I said, I just prayed. And she was, I think she almost fainted. (laughs) So, and to this day, we're great, great friends, but she was able to later on be at my baptism. So um, it was wonderful. And yeah, and she just said she, you know, she couldn't believe it. And God was just so good to lead us to her house out of all these places, you know, all these houses, you know, so many people. We did visit this church, Freedom Life Church, and she started going there too, actually. And it was wonderful. And, you know, we went there for a little while and we realized finally on the same night, my husband and I, uh, they were playing the song, Whom Shall I Fear by uh, Daryl Evans. And I just remember feeling overwhelmed by the presence of God. And I thought to myself, I finally realized, wait, I'm not saved because I went to church when I was a kid. I do actually have to surrender my life because I had been going and believing in God and in Jesus for almost a year between two churches, but I didn't realize I needed to be born again. I had heard that growing up with Christians that I went to school with. And I thought, oh yeah, that's just a, that's just something that you do when you messed up. So you want to be born again, again, and get a new chance and all this kind of stuff. And I just thought, ah, that's wishy-washy. And I realized, I finally realized, ah, okay, I need to do this. I need to surrender my life. And when I was very young, when I was 13, when I met my husband, even though I had been participating in all of this immorality, I just knew that there was something different about him. I had observed as a kid, some issues in my family. And I had told Ryan, this my husband's name, I think I want to marry you when I get older. But if I do, if we do get married, there's three like non-negotiables that I need in a relationship. And I've seen it destroy my family. And he said, you know, well, what is that? And I said, well, first of all, we have to be the same religion because that's torn my parents apart. And I said, and then let's not fight in front of the kids. Let's just go and have our discussions behind closed doors. And I know there's there's some, you know, I mean, your kids need to see you being human. But, you know, if, if there's something that we really need to hash out, we don't need to do it in front of the kids. It's not their business and that's not their burden to take on. And then I said, when we make a decision between, you know, parenting, our, our parenting style or whatever decision we're going to make with the kids about what they can do and not do and things, I said, we need to make those decisions together 
and wait till we have a united decision and then bring that decision to the kids and not just make a decision on the fly and then the other contradict what the first one has said. That's very mature for 13. Right, right. I, yeah, now I see that too. But when I was standing there in church that night that I, when I was born again, I said, God, you know the agreement I have with my husband. And you know that uh, we're best friends and I cannot do this without him. And I can't, we just cannot be separated on this. We have to be united. And I said, and not to mention, I, he's he's my best friend. I love him and I want him to have the same thing. Whatever I do, I, you know, I want us to do this together. So I told my husband a little white lie. I said I was going to the bathroom there and I didn't go to the bathroom. I went, I prayed with the pastor to accept Jesus. So I get back to my seat after he'd prayed and my husband was gone. And I thought, huh, where did he go? So he comes back and he just grabs my hand and holds it real tight. And I looked over and I whispered to him, where did you go? And he said, huh, I went and prayed with one of the elders to accept Jesus. And I said, I did too. I did too. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't go to the bathroom. And people have been sure to point out to me that my first act as a believer was to tell a lie, but I think it was okay. I think I was forgiven, hopefully. But uh, yeah, anyway, so, and very shortly after that, our seven-year-old wanted to be baptized with us and we were all baptized together, April 9th, 2005. And shortly after that, the Lord just called me into ministry. And growing up, I had always dreamed of being a medical doctor. That's just all I've ever wanted to do. I still have that dream, but the Lord spoke to me very clearly. And he said, you are meant to bring healing to people, but in another way and for my glory. And not that doctors don't glorify the Lord. I just mean that he just had a different way for me. He called me to go back to uh, to college. And I said, well, Lord, when I went to college, I didn't get good grades and I didn't understand things because I was so far behind. You know, everything I see is new to me as far as knowledge and things. And I also struggle with dyslexia. So anyway, all of these things that I said, so God, you, I don't have to go back to school. You used uneducated men in the Bible. And, and he said, it's not about that. It's not about that. You have to go to school and be educated. It's that you don't finish things you start and you started to go to college, but you gave up. And I said, okay, I'll agree to do it and I'll agree to, to finish, but you have to be with me and I have to get good grades because it's reflecting you. <laughs> and he said, okay. And so I did graduate with my bachelor's degree in psychology in 2012 and I graduated with honors. And then I went on to get my master's degree in human services counseling in crisis and trauma counseling, mainly focusing on you know PTSD and military focus. I have a certificate in life coaching and or an advanced diploma in life coaching, really. And, you know, just with stress management. And like you mentioned in the bio, you know, I've owned my own life coaching business. I've been a Stevens minister in the hospital setting where we worked with the chaplaincy team to just provide care to non-critical patients. Then uh, in 2019, I said, Lord, what else do you want me to do? I, I, I just feel I need to make a difference for the, for the sake of my children. He led me into government. So now I'm halfway through my PhD in social public policy. My husband, like I said, just retired from 20 years in the Navy. We are just ministering to people as we can. Throughout our journey, we've been in three states and in each place we have led either small groups or we actually led a house congregation for three years before we turned it over to other leaders. And we've just been so incredibly blessed. 
And once I was born again, the nightmare stopped. The anxiety was greatly reduced. I am a human, so I do struggle still with some, but that's kind of, uh, it's a little self-imposed, you know, a little bit of that perfectionism. I've not had to be on any kind of medication since 2004, December of 2004, right before I was born again. Like you said, I've, you know, I've worked for a U.S. senator. I work for a national organization uh, for religious freedom. I have to do things that terrify me on a regular basis, like travel to Washington, D.C. or, you know, or different places for work and things. So um, I don't like to travel, but God in me is greater, right? <laughs> so. Well, what an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And praise God for his goodness and for his mercy, his love, his salvation for it all, for his redemption. If you were to look back now, do you see any moments where in your journey, when God was working in your life and when maybe you didn't realize it at the time or weren't ready to accept it then? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, when I was friends with my neighbors and things like that, I thought, you know, you've got something good for you, right? It's good for you and your family and it works for you. But I was unfortunately happy being a dancer for a short time. You know, I mean, that was four years of my life. I was happy making my own money at my own pace. And to my husband's credit, my husband has never liked any of that type of thing. He, you know, he does not, he does not like pornography. He does not like any of that. Um, but he did not want to upset me at the same time. So he stuck with me through things that I went through and through my brokenness. He's a good man. But yeah, no, I wasn't ready to accept it at that time. How about when you were a little bit younger? Did you feel God calling you when you were super young? Did you, was there any moments you felt like the Lord is speaking to my heart and I was pushing it away or you didn't really feel the call? So without outing anyone, someone in my family was very hypocritical and they did not display how God was, how Jesus was, or how his heart was. And they were the most outspoken person about the Bible as well. So I really kind of felt like I was beat over the head with, with the Bible and I was kind of disenfranchised with God. I didn't feel like he was there for me. I didn't think he could be real actually, because I thought all loving and powerful God will help me and get me out of this situation. And when I was very little, I used to pray all the time. No one taught me this in church or, or in school or anything like that. But I prayed fervently every night if anyone was sick. I just always wanted to see people healed. And, um, and so I know God put that in me, that desire to see people whole and healed. And just I, I couldn't stand to see people hurting. And again, when I didn't see a miracle go on, then I started to lose my faith and just say, well, you know, the new age produces results. At least I thought so. Oh, it does, but it produces results you don't want. It invites unholy spirits to influence you. But I didn't know that at the time, you know, so I was never exposed to anything explaining the influence that demonic forces could have on a person. I think one of the things that I'm, that shouts out to me through your testimony and even in some of these responses is the insight that you're offering. It really sounds like you've looked back and have processed what was going on and what was going on with me and what led me to this and where did I come from and, and how did God move me? And I love that because I think even knowing God was probably calling me, but I saw a person who was professing to be Christian, was the loudest Christian I knew, but was hypocritical in the way that they were living. 
that's a great reminder and offering insight to people of how important it is to make sure that we're in line with what the Holy Spirit is saying, that our actions are yes. in line with what we are living and and the way we live is in line with what the word says. Right, right. Paul says faith without works is dead. And and it doesn't mean we're saved by our works. We're not. We don't get any brownie points for doing more works for the Lord. But if we can't show the world, if the world can't see that we have fruit, then they're not going to want what we have. And maybe there's even a question for somebody to ask yourself that if you are speaking to somebody and you feel that you are being very bold and they're not responding, that would be one thing to look at. Mm-hmm. Is, is yeah. my life in line, what they're seeing in line with what I'm telling them and remembering the impact that that can have? Because seemingly maybe to that person, it didn't seem like you were paying attention, but you really were. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and children, children notice more than we think they do. Absolutely. Yes. Do you have any words of encouragement for somebody who feels the Lord might be calling them, wanting to draw them in? Maybe they're also seeing hypocritical displays of the faith, but they feel hesitant to let them in or to drop what they're doing and repent. Do you have any words of encouragement for them? Sure. I mean, I think a lot of people that I've come across are afraid to lose what they think they have already. And like when I was a dancer, I felt like I had a freedom because I could make my own hours and things like that. I didn't want to lose that on one hand, but I didn't also want to lose my family and my husband. My husband did draw a line in the sand at one point and finally said, enough is enough. This is not, this is not happening anymore. When you're afraid to lose the familiar, I think that's a big setback to people. But my advice is to lose it all for the sake of the kingdom, because you have no idea, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what the Lord has prepared for those, you know, who love him and are called. You know? Part of the way I think about it sometimes is that sometimes it's really hard for us to let go of something that we can control. We feel we have an illusion that we can control something. And because we're not sure if we can trust the living God with everything. I can trust you with 90%, but that 10% that's in here, I'm not sure if I can trust you with that, especially if our trust has been broken in the past of course. by our family, friends, you know, different people that have influenced us or different situations that have occurred. Sometimes we kind of project how our earthly human relationships are and our experiences are onto God. And so we say, well, yes. I'm not really sure if I can trust you with everything. And Absolutely. there's just that aspect that self-reliance piece that gives us some sort of soothing, albeit false and it doesn't last. But what happens when you finally get to a place where you surrender that and you say, okay, Lord, even that last 10% that's in here, I relinquish the illusion of control that I have and I give it all to you and that freedom that is given. And just a reminder that what the Lord does with that is amazing. He doesn't mishandle it. He takes it seriously. He honors that. He arrives and he shows up and he handles that vulnerable heart with care. Yes. Not like necessarily the people who may have disappointed us in the past and not even like the people who haven't disappointed us, but have shown up. The Lord is way more even than that. Absolutely. Our blessings. He's so good. He's so good to what you're saying. Even one time when I was having a get together, uh, five years or so after I was born again, and there were people at our house and I was starting to feel a lot of anxiety. And I retreated to a bathroom because I was just so nervous. And I opened up the scripture and I don't remember which scripture it is right this moment, but the very words on the page were that I will not embarrass you as in your youth or something like that. It was something to that effect. And I was just like, 
wow, he knows every intimate detail. He knows every root cause of why you feel the way you feel. He can deal with all of it and you can trust him because he will be okay. And, you know, you can be okay with him in his arms. You can be okay. And sometimes when we don't see him because he's not physical, we tend to trust more in the chair we're sitting in, right? Than we do with something we can't see or understand fully but we don't have to understand. And the things we go through, we don't need to understand. But I see in my childhood where the Lord protected me from even things that could have been worse. I could have become full-blown demon-possessed by what I was dabbling in. He really protected me. People I was around, places I was in, I could have been killed in certain places, but God in his goodness protected my life. And so I just thank him so much for that. And I just definitely, I I can't say enough to anyone listening, give God all, give it, give it to him. He's not going to disappoint you. He will not disappoint you. You may not understand it, but we don't have to understand everything. That's part of faith. That's right. And he doesn't rub our past in our face. No. His love comes without reproach. Now, I do think he allows us to remember that. He provides us that conviction. He utilizes that in our past to keep us humble, which is what we should. That is the state that we should remain, not that we should be living in that past, not that we live as if we're not redeemed because he fully redeems us. It just keeps us humble. But when we receive him, he doesn't rub that in our face. He doesn't say, well, you're so much worse than this person because we're not. We've, apart from Christ, we're all dead. And we've all participated in works that that are no good and not of him. And they may be different things, but they're all apart from him. We're not that far apart from any other person. But when we receive the Lord, when he calls us out and we receive him, he redeems us and transforms us. Yes, that was part of the most beautiful thing that night that I was born again, because I I heard the scripture that he remembers our sins no more as far as the East is from the West. And, you know, that we're just, yeah, that we can be completely forgiven. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've done so many bad things, you know, and I, I just, I just want to feel that. And in the book of Hebrews, it talks about, you know, that the blood of bulls and goats being perpetually sacrificed could not cleanse the conscience of the sinner. Only the blood of Jesus can, because if you think about it, how many times do you hear on a movie or a TV show or in real life where you hear like a gang member or something say, oh, my boy took a bullet for me or whatever, right? And they're perpetually indebted to this person who died for them, but it's just a human being. And we have the God of the universe who created everything, who came down in the form of a human to put himself in that place for us, for every single person anyone of all races, all tongues, all nations, that we all are his and and we can all be forgiven for whatever we have done. There's no sin too great. And that was just amazing to me. That was so freeing to my, my mind, you know, my soul needed that. And so, yeah, no one else can do that. I think sometimes one of the barriers that people have in coming to crisis that they look at other Christians 
who have been transformed and redeemed. And they say, oh, I'm so far removed from them. They have, there's no way that they can understand me or my ways or be accepting. Yet sometimes we forget that everyone apart from Christ has a past. And one of my beliefs is that we really are only a few decisions away from any other person. You can say, oh, I would never, but that may not be true. You just may not have been in that particular position or in particular circumstances. We're really only a few decisions away from any other person. And so to the listener, to the person who's watching right now, don't think that you're so far removed. You're far removed when it comes to Christ not being in your life and you're not receiving him yet. But that is the thing that needs to happen. Not that you're far removed from another human. We've all made particular choices that are outside of Christ when we are outside of Christ. Now, do you think that there would have been something that was helpful to you when you were apart from Christ that may have been helpful in steering you to the right path that maybe wasn't available to you? Absolutely. Discipleship, you know, discipleship is so important. And and if I would have been, you know, surrounded, I think with those who knew God and had victory in their lives, then that would have been another transforming part of my story then. Now, I know you've already gone over this, but really just to drive home the point, what would you tell somebody who feels that they've gone too far for the Lord to be able to transform them. And really, a lot of times, I think they either believe that they can't be made anew, or two, they feel they're not deserving of being made into a new creation of Christ. What would you tell them? So I would say that, you know, none of us are deserving. None of us, because none of us are perfect. Jesus is the perfect standard. I mean, he is, but none of us are him. And that's why we didn't all die for each other's sins, right? We're not him. Uh, I would say that, first of all, none of us are good enough. We're all on that same level playing field that we're, we're all the same. It, just because my sin isn't what you did. I mean, for instance, I always prided myself on that. I never, I never went into drugs when I was a kid, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all. Others who have struggled, it's the same as my sin. So no, none of us are good enough, but at the same time, he is the one who can who can take that all from us and he is the standard so when we accept him as our lord and savior then he gives us the ability through the power of the holy spirit to start shedding off all of those things that hinder us so i say if you're unhappy with your sin or you feel like you can't measure up first of all you admit you can't cuz you can't and then second of all you accept him because he is your helper and the holy spirit is sent to you to be your comforter and to be your peace and to start showing you how to walk these things out so that you have the life that you you want to reflect and that reflects him for his glory. Amen. One of the things that Manny, my husband, the co-host on this show, that he says often is that, or that he has said before, is that you don't really have to worry about that piece of transformation. You need to receive Christ. And I'm kind of paraphrasing it from him, so sorry if I'm adding some things in there, Manny. But your job is to receive Christ, and the Lord asks us to repent, but it's a promise of the Lord that he's going to do that transformation. So if that doesn't happen, that's that's on him. And that's not to say something bad about God. That's to say that he has that power to do that. And that's not something that you have to do within yourself. It's the Lord who transforms you. He has requirements and steps for you to take, but it's the Lord who does that transformation. So if you're on this side of that transformation and you're saying, I'm just way too far, you don't have to worry about that piece because that's a promise of God. And that's on him to keep that promise. You have, to, you have to obey what the Holy Spirit says and how, how he's leading you and those steps he's asking you to take in repentance, but it's the Lord that does that transformation. 
No, I totally agree. You take the steps towards the repentance and repentance just means to, to do like a 180. You turn away from your sin and you just agree with the Lord. I'm not going to continue going in that direction anymore because it has not, it hasn't given me anything good. It, you know, it's, it's, I know it causes your heart hurt and I know it's against your standards. So I'm going to turn away from that thing and turn towards God. Yeah. Towards God. And he will do the rest. Like you said. So let's jump into our scripture section now. And do you have a scripture that you brought today that you feel pertains to what we've discussed and that you'd like to share? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So the scripture to sum up my life, I, I always feel, and, and this this kind of gets me because I have to struggle to always hold myself back. And when someone doesn't see the value in Jesus and, and all that he does for us, I have to hold myself back and say, but you don't understand, you know, but when you know Christ, you just want to share it. Right. Exactly. You want to share that because you know what he has done. Yes. Yes. And, and give him your all. Anyway, in Luke, 736 through 50, there's a very sinful woman, right? Who comes into the house where Jesus is dining with his disciples and a Pharisee. And she pours expensive perfume, alabaster fume on his feet and wipes them with her hair and her tears. And her position was one of extreme repentance, kind of, you know, what we just spoke of. And um, she was humble and she knew that she had done wrong. She knew her life was not pleasing and everything to the Lord. So, you know, those that were with Jesus, they were obviously a bit disgusted and uh, they, they failed to understand, you know, why Jesus received someone like her and, and, and why he then went on to forgive her and to aid in their understanding. You know, he told them a parable. He spoke about people who had been forgiven of smaller debts and larger debts. Right. And then he goes on to ask Simon, Peter, who do you think was who, who loved much the, you know, the one who was forgiven of a bigger debt or the one that was forgiven of a smaller debt. And in verse 42, Peter answers correctly, as Jesus says, that the one obviously who was forgiven of the bigger debt was the one who loved them, the, the one who forgave most, right? You know, Jesus ends in, at verse 47 with the statement, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little, indicating that those, you know, who are forgiven love much and then go on often to go into ministry and, and go harder for the kingdom than those uh, who have been forgiven little because they just understand what an amazing second chance that they have been given. And I feel like that just defines my life is that, and it doesn't, I don't mean to sound arrogant in any way, shape or form. When I say I love much, I just, I just feel so indebted to Jesus that I want to do whatever he wants me to do because he saved my life and he saved me from all the, all of the things I was doing to destroy it. And he rebuilt it. And then he's even been merciful enough to use me to help others rebuild also. And, you know, I love it in Isaiah 58, where part of the promise in that chapter is that you'll be called a repairer of the broken walls and, and streets, you know, and, and things like that. So basically that's the gist of it. You'll be, you'll be used to repair. And so I love that too. God is just so good and I can never thank him enough. Two of the scriptures that I brought today include 2 Corinthians 5.17, which is one of my favorites. I'll read that one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
I love it. I think it is self-explanatory. It certainly represents our life after Christ. We are a new creation. All the old stuff is gone. Keeps us humble, but it's gone. In Christ, we are made anew. The second scripture that I brought today is Ephesians 4, 21 to 24. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. That is what you want to do once you've been transformed in Christ. Once you've been made anew, you want to put off your old self. You don't need to live that old self way anymore. You don't have to answer to that old self way anymore other than to point to Christ and to explain what you've come from and where you're going to. You want to put on that new self. That is who you are in Christ. To wrap up this conversation, if there was one thing you'd want everybody who was listening or watching to take away from whatever we said, they can remember one thing, what would that be? Hmm. You were born for a purpose and for such a time as this. And I just would love for everyone to know that the God of the universe has a special, special calling for each and every one of you. And there's no one in the world who can fit that but you. And the kingdom of God needs you. And therefore, we want you here with us. That's what I would say. I love that. Thank you so much, Keely Daniels, for joining us. And to all of you who are listening and to all of you who are watching, we thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, we really hope you did, and you got benefit out of it, which we're pretty sure you did, please give us a a like, a subscribe, support our show. We really appreciate it. It helps us to be encouraged to keep on going. And feel free to tell family and friends about our show and feel free to pass on our information of our episodes. Remember that you can find our podcast on all your major podcast platforms and on YouTube if you want to watch our video podcast. Don't forget, you can also find us on Facebook, on Instagram, and YouTube. We would love to see you there. You're going to find some things on there that you're not going to find on our podcast platforms because we can't post it to our podcast platforms. You want to make sure that you're subscribing and following so that you don't miss anything. So to close us out, Keely, would you mind praying for us? Absolutely. Sure. Father, first of all, we praise you and we thank you, God, for just all the people who are going to listen to this. God, I pray that my life is a living testimony, um, that a living uh, letter that all can read, Father, and that um, I'm no one special any more than anyone listening, because we are all special to you, in fact, Lord, but we are all your children and we all have a purpose. And God, I pray you would speak to every heart and every mind right now, Lord, to uh, lay down their burdens at your feet, Father, and that um, that if he can bring me, if you can bring me into your kingdom, Lord, after all I went through and all that I uh, disobeyed, Uh, I pray, Father, that that the person listening uh, would do the same because they they can see my life and see um, that they too uh, can be uh, a mighty figure in your kingdom. We just thank you and we praise you in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Mm -hmm. We'll catch you next time. Ciao. (laughs) Bye.